As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to No Bunts, the podcast for the casual baseball fan here on the Athletic Baseball Show. I'm Tass Mellis, in studio, in Atlanta, and with me making the magic happen, as always, it's super producer JD. Hello. What's up, JD? And my co-host all season long from Taiwan, someone I haven't asked about his cats recently, Joel. (laughs) Nice to see you, and how are the cats this evening? The cats are good. I actually just uh, brought them upstairs about uh, 15 minutes ago, so they're good. They didn't. They don't like to go up. They know what time it is. They prefer being down here with us. But I said it's showtime, babies. Daddy's got to work. I appreciate that, Joel. Showtime in what stadium? Usually, I I don't ask about the cats because we're talking about the stadium behind you that you throw up on your background. Where are we, Joel? It looks like a beautiful backdrop with a a lit roof. So, Taz, we've had a lot of rain in Kaohsiung lately, so I had to break out the dome here. We're in the, now, I don't want to mess this up, the eighth wonder of the world, the Houston Astrodome. I might be getting that wrong. I think that was the nickname for it. It's obviously obsolete now, but uh, I love this stadium. It just kind of looks like an intergalactic spaceship. Yeah, the the stripes on the upper bowl. Um, Yeah, and uh, the the spaceship with uh, the light raining down yeah. from the roof uh very neat all right great start great start to the show because we got <laughs> i'm glad because we got a great show coming up we have a great things in the top five things in baseball this week we've got tears we've got mustaches we've got fights we're gonna play play bench cut a nice round of that with three players that signed huge contracts this past offseason judge machado and turner That's going to be tough, Joel. Uh, We'll play fair or foul regarding fallout from the trade deadline, whether Steve Cohen is good for the game, if the ideas of small markets are a myth. But let's start with the five best things in baseball because it was a doozy of a week. Up first, there are tears shed this week, Joel. It happened. There were. Um, and we're going to start with your tears because I'm pretty sure you shed some tears when Trey Turner got all those ovations from the Philadelphia Phillies fans. Fans started a social media campaign before he came back from the road trip saying, let's cheer this guy on. He's had a rough season. So when he got to the ballpark on Friday night and the fans got there, they gave him a standing O each time he was at the plate. And then he paid him back with a big go-ahead three-run shot on Saturday. And he got a huge curtain call. So, Joel, the question, were you crying? And do you have a video of said crying? (laughs) Tass, I got a little misty, but that video will remain lock and key, under lock and key. It was great to see. Yeah, and you mentioned that this was organized on social media. I saw a lot of chatter on Reddit. You know, they were planning this. I think it was a very nice touch. You know, Tass, Philadelphia is not exactly a forgiving city, especially when it comes to sports. So I thought this was an excellent touch. It was a very human moment in the game. You know, Turner's been struggling all year. And, you know, to see fans react the way they did give them that, it was a really special moment in baseball. It was a great human moment. 
And I believe on Monday, Trey Turner, you know, paid for and put up some billboards throughout the city of Philadelphia, thanking them, which I thought was a really nice touch. So, yeah, it was just a great moment to see. And, you know, I saw slow-mo replays similar to one of the home runs hit last year. And the Philly fans just all getting up and reacting and cheering. It's just so cool to see it. A great moment, and Philly looks like they're getting hot at the right time. Yeah, they got to slow down a little bit here. Being in Atlanta, <laughs> uh, I'm a little bit worried about these Phillies coming on strong, potentially seeing the Braves in the postseason, having flashbacks of last year's postseason. We talked about it, Joel. You said that the one team that you know could threaten the uh, the Braves are the Philadelphia Phillies. They got to relax. Uh, but uh, as you said, Trey Turner. Four of 12 this past weekend, two doubles, a homer, five RBI. He did thank the fans uh, with billboards. He did say his mom um, was very emotional because uh, he said uh, he has said his mom gives him uh, advice. Uh, and uh, a huge curtain call, and I think the Phillies broadcaster said that was their first curtain call of the season. So they are getting hot at the right time. At the other end of the spectrum, a team that's not getting hot at the right time, because they're not hot at all. Uh, the Angels, my goodness. There were some tears shed there as well. They went for it at the deadline. People were rooting for them to do well because they're keeping Shohei on their team. They were playing well. They were in spitting distance of the wild card. And then after the trade deadline, they immediately lost seven games. Seven <laughs> straight games and in dramatic fashion. Monday, they took a 3-2 lead into the ninth against the Giants. They lost 8-3, and that's after they lost four straight to their division rival Mariners by a combined six runs. Saturday, I was watching that game. Brandon Drury stepped up in the ninth. They were down 3-1, two runners on. He lined a shot, but it was a ground rule double, so the guy couldn't score from first to tie the game. He had to stop at third. They lost 3-2. And during one of those losses... Back to the tears. It looked like Shohei Otani in the dugout was getting a little missy, probably like you, Joel. You know, it wasn't a full. Was it? Wasn't a full cry, but it, he he did look sad. The Angels are seven back of the wild card, and there's three teams in between them and the last wild card spot. So, Joel, do you think Otani was crying? And I know you didn't even want to talk about this Angels team because. They're basically done, but some thoughts on the Angels here. Yeah, I think Otani, like that looked to me, Tass, just he that looked like a broken man. Like what else can go wrong? Like what else can I do? He's obviously a very fierce competitor. He's going to win MVP this year. I think he's a lock at this point. I think the, the, this past week just kind of broke him and, and that look kind of represented like what he was feeling. I mean, it's it's tough to see. Um, I kind of take a bit of issue, though, with the narrative that, oh, the Angels went for it. I mean, the they made trades, but the players they went out and got weren't, like, impact names. I feel like it was kind of a, you know, some boutique moves to say, hey, like, we're going for it. But they didn't really go out and get, like, impact players that were going to really move the needle on that team. Now, that said, I don't blame them, you know, with the position that they were in. But... I think Otani is a guy that we're going to be seeing in November or sorry, in October next year in the years to come. I can't imagine him coming back to Anaheim. He clearly wants to win. I think, you know, most people think he's going to go a bit up North to the Dodgers. They're going to put a team around him. That's going to be competitive every single year, but it's tough to see, you know I mean? The dude just wants to win and what else can he do at this point? It's just the angels. I feel are just DOA at this point. Boutique names. I like that. Uh, they got Mike Moustakas. They got a real Greek on their team right now. Uh, respect <laughs> that, man. That was a while ago. But you're right. They are sort of they're moves around the margins. Uh, yeah, not big names. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, the, the the descriptor for going for it was basically not trading uh, Shohei Otani because it looked like they were on a run and it has truly blown up in their face. Fortunately for them, they ended that seven-game losing streak, and they won on Tuesday night. Um, just one other side note here with the, the whole Otani thing. Because we covered the All-Star game, and J.D., you mentioned that you like the American League jersey. Yes. Our countryman, Drake, was wearing an American League Otani jersey uh, this past week. Was he? Yeah. Saw that, yeah. Looked pretty cool. What do you think, Joel? Look good in the wild? <laughs> 
Cause yeah, looks, I like it. Drake, Drake can pull off a variety of looks, and uh, I think this is a look that he uh, can pull off here. Yeah, I agree. He can pull off a variety of looks. Weird pants, though. Weird pants selection. Um, with the jersey. With the jersey. Well, what, what, what are we talking I, about? I, I mean, like, uh, like ru- almost ruffled is the wrong word, but like horizontal rips in his pants. <laughs> okay. Basically from like hip to knee, like probably like 10 rips hmm. uh, in his jeans. I don't know. Those are just weird pants. I, I don't really get them. But, uh, <laughs> the pants were okay, but the rips you had a problem with. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. I think so. Okay. I mean, I was mesmerized by the jersey because the jersey is cool. It is cool. It looked different uh, in the wild than on the field. But anyway, uh, moving on. A little more Canadiana here with our, our second point. Blue Jays' Davis Schneider did something no one has ever done in the first three games of a career. He took Fenway by storm, Joel, the 28th round pick in 2017. He hasn't shaved his mustache since then, I'm pretty sure. And he had a heck of a debut, Joel. Take us through it because I know you wanted to talk about Davis Schneider. Nine hits. Two of them were home runs. The dude just, they couldn't get him out. Uh, Toronto desperately needs that offense. They needed that series. They swept Boston, who was within, you know, I think a a few games there going into that series. That was a a huge road win for them. It was just great to see. It injected some much-needed life into this team. The Jays have just looked, it's just inconsistent all season. I know that their record, they have got a good record, and they're in the third wildcard spot, but... They've just been underwhelming uh, offensively all year, and they looked pretty complete there uh, on the weekend. They've struggled in Cleveland. They got shut out last night. But, you know, he just brings some much-needed life into that team. And, Tess, I want to share a really crazy story, actually, about Davis Schneider. So he uses a glove that he found in the lost and found at a training facility that he teaches at in New Jersey, and it says VUK on it and he didn't know what it meant and this glove actually belonged to the late john vukovic the former phillies third base coach and his son vince was actually john snyder no relation to davis but the coach of the blue jays it was john schneider's college roommate and teammate in delaware talk about a small world so i thought that was a pretty cool story oh that is a very cool story uh when you said he teaches is he like at a camp kind of thing or yeah like i guess he's an instructor or whatever at a oh, baseball facility okay. uh, in new jersey in the off season so yeah i just found this glove in the lost and found and there's photos of it It looks all beat up and weathered and they, like he uses that glove it's pretty crazy oh that, that is wild yeah he's uh you know playing a little too played uh left field as well here and uh yeah became the first player in mlb history to record nine hits and at least two homers in their first three major league games and he was the mm-hmm. tw- the Jays' 28th ranked prospect uh, in uh, at, at the end of June per MLB pipeline. And they brought him up and, yeah, flying, joining three other Blue Jays with five hits in their first career, in their first two career games. You know the other uh, Blue Jays, Joel. Uh, go ahead. Oh, is this, is this impromptu trivia task? Well, I, I thought this was I know shared one a of them. Bit. Go ahead. Okay, I know one of them is J.P. Aaron Sebia, right? No, no. No? Three other Blue Jays have five hits in their first two career games. Maybe Aaron Sebia did had a great series of three games, but this is specifically two games. They're oldies and... Uh, uh, won't, I don't want to waste time, so yeah, what are Yeah, that's fine. They? That's fine. There's, a, there's Eric Hinsky, uh, great rookie year. Lloyd Mosby. And basketball connection, Danny Ainge. Oh, Danny Ainge. Right, right. I did see that graphic. Yes, yes, yes I saw that. Yeah. yeah. Shout out to the Sportsnet crew. Uh, all right, <laughs> moving on. Third best thing here on, on the list of five, the Baltimore Orioles. Great, but also bad, as we'll get to. But people should be talking about their baseball a little bit more because they're first in the tough AL East. They've got the best record in baseball besides the Atlanta Braves. So why should people take notice of the Orioles, Joel, specifically about their baseball? Or you can talk about them banning their broadcaster, Kevin Brown, for mm-hmm. for basically reciting their record against yeah. the Tampa Bay Rays late in July. And they banished him, although athletic reporting here uh, by our friend Brett G., 
She said that he'll be back on Friday after there were chants in the stadium yesterday to bring Kevin Brown back. Again, he was banned because he basically said the stats of their their record against the race. It really makes absolutely no sense. But, you know, we wanted to talk about the Orioles. Go wherever you want, Joel. Talk about this ridiculous scenario or their great play. Yeah, I want to focus on the positives first. I want to talk about how great of a team this is. Um, an amazing stat. The the Orioles went 17-9 and nine in July, and all of the teams they played were above 500. They're 5-2 and two to start August. They lost a tough game last night. They gave up a grand slam in the ninth inning and lost 7-6 to Houston, a potential ALCS preview. Let's wait and see. But they're for real. And they, they don't really seem to be getting a lot of love uh, from baseball media and the national media. I mean, they get mentioned here and there, but I don't really see people talking about them as a legit viable contender. And they are. I mean, they've got the best record in the American League, you know, where we've only got, you know, just over 60 games left. They're clearly not a fluke at this point. They're a very well put together team. Are they unex- Was this unexpected? Absolutely. But, you know, we're almost mid-August and here we are. They're just basically wrecking teams at this point. They're a real team. They should be celebrated. This is great for baseball. And, you know, getting to the unfortunate part of this, yeah, the Kevin Brown thing, I think, you know, a lot of people were very upset with that. It just takes the shine off of what a great season this has been for Baltimore. The fans deserve better. The team deserves better. And this is what, you know, when finally people do talk about the Orioles – this is the story that people are getting. It's just very, very unfortunate. But, you know, life goes on and hopefully uh, Kevin Brown is back in the booth. But it was great to see uh, the night, basically the night games. Almost every announcer was either making fun or called out the Orioles for this. It was great to see kind of Kevin Brown's peers rally together and rightfully call out the Orioles for what is a ridiculous decision that they made. So I feel that's always great to see, but it should never have happened in the first place. I do think though, Tass, that there's still some people who think Baltimore is going to regress, that the other shoe's going to drop. They don't feel this is a real team. I don't see that. I feel like if that was going to happen, it would have happened already they're a viable contender to me. And, you know, if they're a deep playoff run or a possibly world series team, it shouldn't, it shouldn't surprise anyone at this point. You're watching yesterday. That park uh, game against the Astros was absolutely rocking. It was uh, super fun until the ninth inning for Orioles fans, Uh, Felix Batista on the Hill league leader in saves. Uh, He, they're up three runs and Kyle Tucker, your pick, I think for, uh, 40-40, 40-40, Yeah, his 20th bomb, bases loaded, grand slam to take the lead against the Orioles. Great at-bat uh, against Felix Batista. That was a lot of fun. And it is unfortunate. Uh, but maybe in a weird way, the Orioles are getting a little bit more buzz uh, from this ridiculous Kevin Brown story. Uh, you brought up it's a great point about all the broadcasts talking about this Kevin Brown scenario where Orioles owner John Angelos, uh, according to our Bridge Roley, yanked him from the broadcast for again, reading the stats, that they also had, you know, being in TV production here, they also had an accompanying graphic, which was yeah. really weird. They, it was, a, I think it was a pregame segment where they're talking about their struggles against the Tampa Bay Rays. Maybe uh, owner Angelos was mad at the, the title of this graphic, Tropical Depression, because it's in the trop. <laughs> You know, uh, uh, maybe he was mad at that. But uh, the fact that the TV crew put together a graphic (laughs) and they weren't reprimanded, maybe they were behind the scenes. But uh, apparently this this has happened. uh, If you go read the athletic article, which is which is great, has happened within the organization plenty of times. Um, So, yeah, it seems to be an issue. But you bring up a good point. Just the. It doesn't seem like they're going anywhere, and it's a great story. They are the 29th biggest payroll in baseball. Um, they've just got a lot of lovable players. Ryan Mountcastle hit a bomb yesterday. Uh, oh, yeah. I mentioned Felix Batista, but you know, to prove the point that no one's watching them, I was watching them also on Sunday with my father-in-law. They're playing the Mets, and my father-in-law says, the New York Mets versus who? 
He didn't even. He just <laughs> didn't know who the Baltimore Orioles were. He's just not a base or a huge baseball guy. Um, but I, you know, I started telling him about Felix Batista. He was on the hill and he closed it out on Sunday. Unfortunately, he couldn't close it out uh, on Tuesday. Anyway, uh, good stuff there from the from the Orioles on the field and hopefully Kevin Brown back Friday as uh, as the reports go. All right, moving on. We had to talk about this, Joel. It's a few days old, but we had a fight. And unlike other baseball fights, you know, air quote fights, this one was fun. If you didn't see it, the Guardians' Jose Ramirez slid into second base. Tim Anderson put a tag on him. Ramirez didn't like the the forcefulness of the tag, got up, they squared off, and Ramirez dropped uh, Tim Anderson real quick. Way more interesting than Jake Paul versus Nate Diaz on Saturday, got to say. Uh, <laughs> give, give me your uh, feedback on the fight, Joel. I loved it. You know, I mean, I don't want to celebrate violence or anything, but, you know, I mean, things happen. Tempers flare. I mean, it was super entertaining to see the slow-mo replays. The memes have been absolutely hilarious. I think the funnest one I saw was um, when your drunk cousin is getting dragged out of the VFW trying to pick a fight with his old PE teacher. That one cracked me up because Anderson was legit jelly-legged. I didn't really realize it yeah. until I saw some of the memes. I mean, he was out on his feet there for a while. Um, I, like, it was cool to see. You know, it's unfortunate that it kind of came down to that. And, you know, to Jose Ramirez's credit, I just want to read this here. He actually reached out to Tim Anderson. I didn't really see this reported too much, but he went on a, a Dominican television station and he said, you know, in light of recent events, I want to say to the public, I deeply regret what happened between me and Tim Anderson, who I consider a very good baseball player. I've been trying to reach out to him directly and apologize, but haven't received an answer. Everyone who knows me knows, well, I'm not someone who's out there looking for trouble. So credit to him because I don't really think he started it. I think things happened quickly. And in my opinion, from what I saw, Anderson kind of dropped his gloves and put up his fist and said, let's go. So you know, I don't really think that, you know, Ramirez taking the high road, I think, is a classy move. And then after this, you know, several other stories about the White Sox came out about how guys are sleeping in the clubhouse and Yasmani Grandal allegedly, allegedly had a confrontation. He came out and said it didn't happen. But the White Sox just seem like an absolute mess. And this knockout of Anderson is just, you know, a perfect representation of the season they're having. So... It's unfortunate to see, but I mean, also as a baseball fan and person who loves a good fight, it was cool to see. (laughs) Yeah, you sound like uh, Terry Francona, who went to the podium after the game and basically said, it wasn't funny. Pause, pause, pause. But, uh, but it was funny. I'm surprised Jose Ramirez apologized because he... He seemingly really doesn't like Tim Anderson because he he got on the mic, uh, was interviewed after the game, and through a translator said Tim Anderson is disrespectful to the game the way he, I guess, tagged him. I think it seemed like that was his problem with him. Lay in the wood with the glove. Well, and and so I was listening to an interview. Ah, His name escapes me, but the broadcaster for the Indians. He's been doing it for years. Great broadcaster. Are you? Sorry, sorry, Guardians. The radio voice is it? The radio voice is it? Or no? Uh, I want to say Tom Hamilton. Yes, thank you. Yeah, Yeah. and he was saying that it might have stemmed from an issue where Anderson had been, I don't know, like saying something or had been kind of aggressive with some of the Guardians rookies and. Ramirez and then you know the hard tag I think that was just kind of Uh, the boiling point for it and he was sticking up for some of his teammates so Ramirez seems like a really cool teammate um and he was pretty like you said he he did said he had some issues with Anderson but he wasn't I don't know he wasn't chomping at the bit or anything he seemed pretty calm he explained his side of the story and you know, I think it's done and dusted and let's move on. But uh, we'll we'll be seeing that meme for years to come, that knockout, Jose Batista and Rognet Odor, move over. You've been replaced. Uh, done and dusted. That's a good way to put it because that's what happened to Tim Anderson because, it, it, yeah. yeah, I had to watch it a thousand times. It was like uh, going back a little MMA when uh, Conor McGregor was backpedaling against Anderson Silva and he hit him. It was sort of like what happened to Jose Ramirez. Now, Conor's fist knocking out Silva, a way harder hit. But it was right. like Ramirez was 
seemingly like he was he was the one you know retreating uh and he just threw up a fist and i i saw a friend of the program bo esti said that um he got ear clapped like i guess i guess if you get hit in the ear um it could have an effect on your your brain and you kind of just you go down ear and ear clap is a thing and that could have happened it, it, just watching it a billion times Timmy may have yeah. got ear clapped, but a tough year for him, tough year for the White Sox. As you said, uh, a weird, strange season regarding the culture of their team. Ken, uh, Middleton, um, who was yeah. traded to the White Sox, uh, traded from the White Sox to the Yankees, uh, Yankees, also said that the clubhouse has no rules. And uh, um, and uh, I, 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 there was a great article. You mentioned Tim Anderson. Uh, sorry, Tim Anderson. Tom Hamilton. The Guardians radio voice, he had a great call. Yeah. Down goes Anderson. Down goes Anderson. <laughs> and uh, Zach Meisel on The Athletic interviewed him. So great article uh, on that. Anderson was suspended six games. Ramirez suspended three games, but they have appealed. And so we'll see where that goes. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Move over. I'm surprised. I, I thought I thought they would get more because Batista and Odur, I believe, got more and I feel this was more severe. I mean, obviously that's objective, but uh, yeah, you know, it was a great, it was a great fight, but yeah, let's move on. <laughs> uh, moving on to the final thing on the top five things in baseball this week, the climbing cubbies in an interesting NL central, the young reds made the NL central interesting a while back when Ellie came up and they went on their run and Votto came back uh, now the Cubs have joined Cincy and the Brewers as the three teams that could win the division, and they're in the heart of the wild card race as well. So tell me more about this Cubs team, Joel, that no one expected to contend this season. Yeah, they got swept on June 8th, and they were 26-36 and 36 at that point. And, you know, I don't think anyone was really paying attention to them. I don't think a lot of people expected the Cubs to do much this year. This is kind of a, a rebuilding year. Not much was expected of them. And to their credit, they've just played very, very well. Uh, I feel like they've kind of flown under the radar the past while, but here they are right in the thick of not only the wild card race, but like you said, the NL Central race. I didn't think the NL Central was going to be exciting this year. I thought it was going to come down to St. Louis and Milwaukee and, you know, probably St. Louis would have won, but not really caring too much about that division. But here we are. You know, we're almost in mid-August, and we've got a legit uh, divisional race with three teams. And outside of the AL West, this is really the only kind of true divisional race we have at this point. It's super exciting. Kudos to the Cubs, you know, for hanging on to Bellinger and hanging on to some of the guys. They could have got probably great value if they had to move some of these pieces, but they're going to go for it. So I think that's a great move. But yeah, all of a sudden, the NL Central is super, super exciting. And it's kind of been musical chairs recently in terms of uh, who's been the division leader. So I'm excited to see what happens. Uh, I per like just as a fan, I do want to see the Reds do it. But, you know, let's see what happens. It's it's anyone's kind of race at this point. It is true, as you said, uh, about that one series where they got swept. One series can change a, a team's season there's no doubt mm -hmm. uh and we just talked about the jays who stunk against the red sox all year i think they were zero and seven against them uh and then they go sweep them so it's true um it, it, it can happen that way and uh the cubbies are coming on strong uh nice to see guys like dansby swanson and cody bellinger who are let go from their previous teams doing what they're doing they're two big parts of their revitalized offense uh, Bellinger, you know, leaving the Dodgers. I'm, I'm sure you like that as a Dodger hater, Joel, uh, doing his <laughs> thing for uh, the Cubs. Uh, but kind of like the Dodgers, uh, they take a lot of pitches. You know, historically, that's what the Dodgers do. And uh, this lineup seeing a lot of pitches uh, read on the athletic and confirm this stat that they take, they have, they average four pitches per at bat, over four per at bat. And that's the leading team uh in mlb so they're they've become a tough lineup uh which is surprising i think because we're everybody who is talking about the cubbies is talking about their lineup i think their pitching is a little overlooked uh but um yeah it's an interesting division as you said the brewers cubs reds all within one and a half games right now now they're not mm -hmm. none of them are juggernauts um they're nope. none of them are running away with with anything uh the yeah the brewers 
seven games above 500 leading the division right now. But you also just said that the AL West is the only other divisional race. What about that AL East? You, well, don't, I mean, you don't respect those Rays? I know Shane McClanahan probably not going to pitch again this season. Yeah, I'm all in on Baltimore. I don't think anyone's going to catch them. The Central, the Twins probably have sewn that up. So the AL West is shaping up, though. Uh, Seattle's really come on strong lately. They're making a push. They're only two behind Toronto for the final wild card. And I think six or seven out. Uh, the division, I think, might is out of reach for Seattle. But, uh, you know, Texas and Houston neck and neck, it's going to be great to see. But, um, Taz, who do you want to win? Who do you want to see win the NL Central? I'm curious. Oh, I'm, I'm with, picking the Reds. I'm with you, baby. Yeah, I'm, I'm, okay. I want the Reds. There's too much, too much goodness there. Uh, watching yeah. Joey Votto, you know, could be his final year, maybe, maybe not. Ellie, uh, and just there's so many young guys on that team that it's hard not to get behind them. So, uh, mm-hmm. totally with you. You know, the Brewers, it's easy to like them, but also, you know, they kind of, kind of last year at the deadline, kind of gave up. Uh, the Cubs, I mean, they're a good story. Uh, so. That's I would rank them Reds, Cubs, Brewers if I'm if I'm cheering. <laughs> I'm I'm with you, and I feel like in recent years the Brewers have just had a lot of kicks at the can. They've yeah. won a fairly weak division, and they've gone out in the first round. I think most of those times they haven't really done much. So it's time for some time for some new blood in that division. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, Joel, let's uh, move on to a sort of segment, a topic that you wanted to get to. We're going to play fair or foul here with the trade deadline in the rear view. We've got a little more perspective on what transpired with all the money flying around. And in fair or foul, Joel, you're going to confirm or disprove some of the ideas that are floating around baseball. So let's start with Mets owner Steve Cohen. Because he's an interesting fella. Uh, By agreeing to pay so much for players he sent out, he's paying more for players not on his team than are actually on his team. So fair or foul, Joel, Steve Cohen is good for baseball. I think he's he's great for baseball. I think in years past, a guy like Cohen would probably be vilified a bit, mocked. People wouldn't like him. They're like, oh, you're just trying to buy a team. It's not fair, but I think fans have become smarter and more educated and they're not necessarily buying that. You, you're still going to have fans who, who who believe that, but Cone, Cone's great for the game. And Tats, like this year, we kind of have, you know, the two opposites. You've got the Mets owner, Cohen, who loves Mets, obviously loves baseball, will do whatever it takes to win in terms of spending. And then on the opposite end, you've got the owner of the A's. His name escapes me at the moment where, you know, he's just wildly cheap. You know, the A's are basically moving. So it's, I mean, like if you have to pick between the two guys, like obviously you're going to pick a guy like Cohen. I I think he's great for the game. He's very transparent with the fans. You typically don't see that in baseball today. There's really not a lot of communication, but he writes open letters. I, I feel, you know, he was very open about what they were doing at the deadline. And again, you know, New York's not exactly a forgiving sports market, but kind of like from what I've seen, and this is anecdotal, but from Mets fans online, I feel they respect that. Like they're obviously disappointed, very angry about what happened. The Mets obviously had World Series aspirations. It just didn't happen. But there's no way you can lay this at the feet of Steve Cohen. He did everything he possibly could to field a winning team. It just didn't happen. 
as a baseball fan, how could you not want an owner like that? I would want a guy who's passionate about winning, who's willing to spend money, who can admit that he got it wrong. I think he's absolutely great, great for the game of baseball. No question. Fair. Yeah. And he cut his losses with uh, Scherzer and Verlander and had to pay to get them out of there to sweeten the deal uh, for the Rangers and the Astros respectively, but got prospects back. Uh, Mm -hmm. Shrewd business moves. And I guess that's why this man is uh, richer beyond rich. Uh, And you bring up John Fisher, the A's owner. So uh, Uh, I, yeah, on the other searching for John Fisher. So uh, I am interested in this, your next take here, because, you know, from one end of the spectrum, Cohen Fisher at the other, our next topic here is about small market teams. Fair or foul, small, small market teams are a myth. What do you think, Joel? Tass, this is a foul ball, but just by that much. We got to go to the video replay to verify. Uh, <laughs> this this is a tough one. Obviously, if you're a small market team, you are still at a disadvantage in terms of revenue streams uh, and things of that nature. But uh, the the revenue sharing with the TV deal, the way it's structured, the new TV deal started in 2022. So with regional TV deals and national TV deals, before a team's even sold a ticket, they're taking in $100 million from their uh, TV revenue. So that's obviously, that's equitable uh, among all teams. You should be, you know, investing that in, in your team and in your players. Obviously, not all owners are doing that, such as John Fisher. He's a perfect example. And the league threatened, I think, to cut back some of his revenue, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know all the details. But small market teams are still able to compete. But obviously, they're not going to be able to compete financially with some of the bigger teams. That goes without saying. But I think that in recent years, they've been able to exploit loopholes like Tampa is a, is an amazing innovator in the game. They've figured out how to exploit these things. They're very fluid with the roster construction, moving guys, signing guys at a very young age so they don't have to overpay when they get to free agency. So I is it is the, a small market a myth? Yes, but not by much because a lot of those small market teams are more competitive. And Tass, just really quickly, in 2022, you know, baseball is a professional sport. Who do you think made, who was the most profitable team last year in terms of operating profit? This surprised me. Mm-hmm. So we got to go towards the bottom. Uh, I imagine it's not the race. I mean, I'll just throw, uh, throw a race out there. No, but they made the playoffs and they broke my heart last year. Mariners? They were the they had the highest operating profit last year, hmm. and the top the the top five teams who had operating profits. Some of them are small market: Baltimore, Oakland, Seattle, San Francisco, and Boston had the highest operating profits. The Mets, White Sox, Jays, Twins, and Padres had the highest operating losses. So it's a mix of big market teams and small market teams in terms of operating profit and losses. And, you know, maybe the Padres this year kind of broke the mold of small market teams. They've clearly invested a ton into the current team they have not only for this year, but the years to come. And so hopefully some other small market teams kind of look at this as a potential model, maybe Pittsburgh or Miami or, you know, one of those other small market teams. And they kind of take the lead uh, that San Diego has because they do have more money to spend. It's just they're simply not. Right. Uh, and I, I guess you'd have some team owners like the Orioles we, we talked about tell you that we were had a, we had such a great operating uh, margin of profit there. Uh, you mentioned them in, in the top five because we're so shrewd with our salaries. They are 29th in terms of salary. But as you said, there's so much money being distributed from the TV deal because the TV deal brings in so much money. The The national TV mm-hmm. deal plus the streaming deals with Amazon and Apple worth nearly $2 billion that gets distributed to everybody, as you said. A uh, hundred per being thrown everywhere to each team. And there's the revenue sharing and there's the BAM tech money that I read about. The, uh, the money being paid to MLB for 
their technology. And so lots of money to be spent. Uh, I wonder if a salary floor ever happens in MLB like it does in the NBA. I'm all for it. I think there needs to be one. I I think the with the rules they have in place, I don't think baseball needs a salary cap because I, I think you can still be competitive without one. But I'm all in favor of a floor because at the end of the day, the fans deserve it. You know, no one wants to see a team continually just put a losing product on the field and the owners don't invest in it at all. You know, fans deserve better than that. And Oakland's the perfect example of this. Right. Just And just to give uh, a little perspective here, I'm reading uh, BetMGM via Track. Just to give people the payroll sort of guide here, the Mets number one with $330 million this year by far and away, the leaders of the clubhouse. And uh, the Oakland A's way last at about 40 plus, you know, know, the the money fluctuates throughout the year, but there you go. Mm -hmm. A huge, huge range. And so, yeah, I'm interested if a salary floor ever gets put in because the common idea in baseball is you got to spend to win a championship. So that brings us to our Mm -hmm. next topic, fair or foul. You need to spend to win a ship, Joel. I think you might disagree with me on this one, but I'm going to say foul for this. Now, I'm going to say foul because it's 2023. I wouldn't have said this maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago, but in 2023, I'm going to say foul for a couple of reasons. Having, and you just alluded to it a minute ago, just because you have money, it does not guarantee you a playoff spot. It certainly doesn't guarantee you a championship. Does it give you an advantage? Sure, but just for context, of the 10 biggest spenders in 2023, six are currently in playoff spots and four are not. And of the 10 lowest spenders, two are in a playoff spot and three others are within two games of the wild card. So there actually is some parity between the, the highest spenders and the lowest spenders in terms of you know their playoff position and their record this year, which I think is interesting for some context. And also... Cass, talking about the Oakland A's, going back to 2012, they've actually made the playoffs six times, which, you know, is amazing. So do you need to win money to win a championship? I would say no at this point. And since 2000, only three teams with the highest payrolls have won a championship. Any idea who they are? The Yankees in the early 2000s. Yankees did it twice. Um... Was it a Stroh's team? Who uh, you're? Who do the Yankees have a big rivalry with? Oh, the Sox. Yeah. So the Yankees did it in 2000 and 2009. They had the biggest payroll. They won the World Series, and the Red Sox did it in 2018. So you know, it's a. I feel it's a big enough sample size where you can say, does does spending as the most money get you a championship? More often than not, it doesn't. Um, But a lot of smaller market teams' tasks are using their money more efficiently, especially from the revenue sharing. I think they know that they can't compete with the Dodgers and the Red Sox and the Yankees and the bigger clubs. So a lot of those teams now are investing that in analytics, development, drafting, scouting, all of those things. And Baltimore is a perfect example of this task. You said they're 29th in payroll. They've got the second best record in the league. They've got a ton of young talent at the major league level, and they've got one of the best farm systems. That is just, you know, perfect proof of using those resources in a different way, but more effectively. And I think that could be kind of the next market flaw that smaller market teams kind of exploit to be more competitive. It used to be analytics. Now it's kind of progressed to this. So it'll be interesting to see. Thank you for teaching me some things. I will no longer be in a rutch man to say that you need to spend. Uh, Shout out to Adley. All right, last one here. I think uh, we have this one on the list because I think you're a a Steinbrenner man through and through. Uh, Fair or foul? George Steinbrenner was ahead of his time. Fair, 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 (laughs) fair, fair. Um, it's easy to hate a guy like George Steinbrenner. If you're if you're a non-Yankee fan, obviously, if you're a Yankee fan, I mean, he's everything to you. But 
he in a lot of ways he was ahead of his time i mean he was he put his money where his mouth was he it, you know he was obviously was a bit of an abrasive guy and you know called guys out of the media there were certain things he did that maybe people don't agree with but in terms of like investing in in players and and going out and carrying his end of the bargain he's the guy um and people are people are critical and say oh the yankees are kind of the they went out and they bought a team and you know they ruined baseball but they didn't they did what any other sports team does they drafted a core they developed a core and when that core came into their window they started supplementing that core by going out and getting guys through trades and free agency when you look at that 90s uh that 90s yankees dynasty that's a homegrown core jeter Posada, Bernie Williams, Andy Pettit, Mariano Rivera. There's a couple Hall of Fame players and a couple of Hall, Hall of Very Good players. And then what did they do? They went out and they got Roger Clemens. They got David Cohn, Paul O'Neill, Scott Brocious. They put together a good team. They didn't go out and buy a team. That's a narrative that I kind of feel needs to go away. Like, And I'm not a fan of the Yankees by any means, but I want to be fair here. Kudos to Steinbrenner. You know, like, again, like with Cohen, I would absolutely want an owner like that. I feel Cohen is Steinbrenner, but with a lighter touch. But was Steinbrenner ahead of his time? Yeah, absolutely. And I would want an owner like him through and through for sure. All right. Great stuff, Joel. Um, Also, this is extremely random as an aside. You said the Hall of Very Good. We've been saying that on our basketball show on No Dunks for a long time. Mm -hmm. When does that enter give me the exact date that entered the lexicon for baseball because it seems like it's been around for a it's been around for a while yeah it's i would say it's come on in recent years with the hall of fame debate it it kind of mlb hall of fame is weird because basketball there's there's no like 10-year ballot right like you're just voted in and that's it like there's not really a waiting period or it's like selected by a committee well you're after you retired there is a a short waiting period but there isn't right uh, it's like four years i think but there isn't that yeah the divide as you said with the two voting systems that you have in baseball there's a voting committee and they just let everybody in 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 basketball essentially it's a lot different it's a lot different than baseball but anyway um so yeah well yeah with baseball like advanced stats have led to players being viewed more favorably or less favorably uh, as time has gone on. So in terms of when did Hall of Very Good become part of the baseball Hall of Fame lexicon, I don't know, but I'm going to say within the last 10 years. But uh, yeah, that Yankees team was absolutely stacked and most of it was drafted and developed by the Yankees. Great to hear the name Scott Brocious again. Hadn't uh, (laughs) thought about that one uh, for a second. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. Here we got a little uh, Yankees connection with our, our final topic. Since we're talking money, we decided a round of play bench cut was in order. This is fun. Specifically with monster contracts that were signed this past offseason. So let's play play bench cut with Aaron Judge, who's going to be 39 years old when his nine-year $360 million contract expires. Manny Machado who's going to be 41 years old when his 11-year, $350 million contract that he just signed expires. And Trey Turner, your favorite. I don't know if you can cut this, man. 
He's going to be 40 when his 11-year, $300 million contract expires. So, Judge, Machado, Trey Turner. Oh, God, it feels good to play this. Play bench cut, Joel. What are you doing here? Oh, uh, okay. Ooh, <laughs> I hope I get this right. I hope I get this right. Um, uh, we will be looking back. I... We will be looking back 10 years <laughs> from now when all three of these guys are retired. No, not even. It's not, no, it's not 10. 11, 12. Yeah. And uh, we'll see if you got it right. So tell us the, the correct answer. Okay, here we go. Internet, please don't hate me. Um, I'm going to play Machado. Interesting. I'm going to bench Turner, and I'm going to cut Judge. Oh! What's going on here, Joel? Why? So my... This hurts. This this was tough. Tass, I struggled yeah. with this. I this struggled was good. With this. I'm glad we came up with these, these three names, because we bandied about plenty of we names. We did. We and- did do some bandying. We did do some bandying. Um... <laughs> my my thought process was when healthy judge i feel is clearly the best player among the three i don't like that really can't be debated my issue with judge is durability it's been an issue his whole career uh he's a big dude now i know the injury he suffered earlier this year in la that was a freak injury but he has not played he's missed a lot of games in his career unfortunately um durability worries me how much longer is he going to play in the outfield because is he going to play first base and then even if is if not is he just going to be a dh he's kind of going to just be a more expensive giancarlo stanton at that point and stanton has just fallen off of a cliff he is basically going to be dead money I feel uh, at, at this point, the Yankees are going to have to just basically treat that as an albatross. So I worry about judges durability Machado. Like, I just think he's, I, I get Adrian Beltre vibes from him. Beltre was an elite player, like well into his late thirties. Like even the year he retired, like he was a very productive player. I kind of get those vibes from Machado. He's an excellent defender. He's fairly durable. He hasn't really had too many injuries in his career. I think he's going to age very well. And so just by, you know, process of elimination, I'm I'm, I'm going to keep Turner. Uh, I think he's obviously, he's having a rough season this year, but the talent's clearly there. And again, like he's another guy that's fairly durable. So that was my thought process. I don't know, Tass, did I get it right? Nah. Maybe, uh, yeah. You're the expert here, so that's that's fine. I think with Aaron Judge, you're gonna blame the guy for running into a a concrete curb uh, in in right field in in LA. That's why he was injured. I, I do uh, his durability over his career was was your point. Um, that's fair. That's totally fair. He could become a, a DH, as you said, or first base, but you can't throw him in the Giancarlo Stanton realm because he's still gonna hit. I don't think. Yeah, but I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. I just no, think no, like no, long term. I yeah, I just think I'm thinking long term value. Yeah, I think you're going to get more value out of Turner and Machado. I mean, they're all making comparable amounts of money. I just think the value is in Turner and Machado and Judge. You know, he's either going to be injured or he's potentially going to be playing first base or DHing, and you're going to be paying him oodles of money. Even with inflation, it won't look as bad in maybe five or ten years, but. Still, I mean, I don't know. I feel that contract could be bad. And, you know, we did a piece, no underscore bunts, uh, on Instagram. And the Yankees are in really big trouble, Tess. Like, they've got a lot of money locked up into some aging, regressing players. And they're kind of built to win now. And they're going to have to be very creative in terms of them, you know, trying to put together a competitive team while Cole and judge are still kind of in their primes. Uh, And, you know, judge, I think is making up almost 25% of this year's payroll. Now he's worth it when he's healthy, but is that going to be the case in three years, five years, 10 years? I don't think so. We'll be looking back at this, Joel. I, you could, you could definitely have this right. um, Because you, you bring up a good point about the roster there. You say that they're comparable numbers between Turner Machado and judge, but I, it's not quite comparable when you look at it because of how long they signed. Judge is making 40 annually, period. Bottom line, mm-hmm. that's the number. Trey Turner, 
quite a bit lower. It's 27 annually because he was signed for two years longer and 60 mil less. Okay. Uh, and uh, Machado is, is an interesting contract if you're you're into this kind of thing. He's only getting $13 million in each of the next three seasons. Then it jumps to 21 mil for 2026, then 35 uh, for 27, 2027 to 2033. So the last... Oh, it's backloaded. It, it's it's backloaded, yeah. And there's a $45 million signing bonus. Also, here's a little interesting tidbit. Machado has a hotel suite on road trips as well as part of his contract. It's a nice suite, I guess. Uh, and the right to purchase a luxury suite and four premium tickets to all home games. Anyways, just a little side note. So I think the nice. money the money is favoring your argument because it's a big number annually for Judge. Although it is a slightly shorter contract, he'll be done a, uh, at a younger age, and I guess that's was part of the um, part of the Yankees' reasoning when they signed him to this contract. But speaking of Manny Machado. The Padres offered Aaron Judge a huge deal, uh, trying to lure him a, a bigger deal than this nine hundred thirty-six, three hundred sixty million dollar contract that he signed with the Yankees. It was a bigger deal, reportedly, uh, but uh, he decided to stay in New York. So, yeah, the Padres are an interesting case. You brought up a great point about the Yankees' obstacles that they're dealing with, with all the money that they're that is essentially dead money. Josh Donaldson. Uh, we've got Anthony Rizzo, the wild scenario, great story uh, written by our buddy Chris Kirshner at The Athletic about him getting concussed and having a few days off, but then playing through it essentially because he didn't have any uh, concussion symptoms and being the worst hitter in baseball the last couple months because of that. Maybe he turns it around, but they've just got a lot of players, as you said, uh, that are struggling. So. Yeah, maybe when LeMayhew's you... another one, LeMayhew, Stanton. Yeah, they've just uh, they they bet on some of the wrong horses, unfortunately, and they're they're in a tough spot. Right, and Judge is performing, no doubt mm-hmm. this year. He's having an awesome year, but he has been injured. So, yeah, that that was your reasoning. I don't have a better reasoning, Joel. Uh, I got to be totally honest with you. Uh, when we were doing our bandying. Uh, I, I figured you were going to be the, the one to lead this bandy and, and you did. So that's, uh, I, I'm fine with that because of uh, the money situation, because he is making significantly more annually when it comes down to it. And um, yeah. And the injury history makes a, a, a lot of sense. Although, yeah, he will be 39 when it's all said and done. And, and the Padres paid Machado, man, they paid him until he's 41 and uh, judge will be 39 when he's done. And I, I think you're trusting Trey's body, uh, and I and I get that as a smaller guy to be able to be on the field. But is he going to be athletic enough late in his 30s to be, you know, playing short to be all over the field? Probably not. They'll probably shift him over to second or maybe even first at some point. Yeah, you don't see a lot of shortstops in there or even third baseman in their late, even mid to late 30s. Uh, but you know, there are some guys, like I said, uh, Beltre was one and I think Machado can be one. He's just such a phenomenal defender. He's so great to watch play defense. Arenado's another one too. Uh, but he obviously signed his contract uh, a couple years ago, but I digress. All right. So great stuff. Uh, if you're in the chat or you're, uh, listening to this uh, a little bit later, hit us up on Instagram. Let us know who would you play bench cut judge Machado. Or Turner. That's a tough one. Um, all right. So go ahead, Joel. Well, I was going to say, we're going to throw it on IG. I've already got a post locked and loaded task. As soon as we're done, let us know on IG. Do a little poll action. Let's pull it up. Uh, yeah, you've been dropping <laughs> some uh, some memes over there, some memes. Uh, I got a friend who's, who mm-hmm. pronounces it meme. So uh, I also like to pronounce it that way. Um, <laughs> he was on a trip recently. I saw on Instagram. So that's why his... Uh, his pronunciation of meme is on my brain. But you have been putting up some great memes, Joel. So check us out on Instagram, no underscore bunts. Of course, you can check this show out on the Athletic Baseball Show feed where we stream live on YouTube every Wednesday or in its own feed wherever you get your pods. Check out theathletic.com slash baseball show for the best sports writing in the world. 
Otherwise, we're all done. Any last words, Joel? Or you you got it in there, I think, with the plug. I uh, I'm gonna watch that '70s show and go to bed. I'll be in bed <laughs> in 45 minutes. I'm gonna end with that. Shout out to Eric Foreman. <laughs> uh, for JD, for Joel, the perfect ending. We'll see you next Wednesday.